I don't think I pressed it all the way. Okay, well, we're there in uh, Hebrews chapter number three. And of course, we, on Wednesday nights, we're studying through the book of Hebrews. We're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter uh, through this book. Tonight, we find ourselves here in Hebrews chapter number three. And if you remember last week, we began chapter three. We went through the first part of the chapter. We looked at verses one through six, and uh, we learned about uh, Jesus being compared to Moses in Hebrews uh, 3, verses 1 through 6. We learned about the fact, of course, that Jesus is better, which is the theme of the book of Hebrews. One of the themes of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is better. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. We saw that he's better than Moses. Tonight, we're going to uh, finish up chapter number 3, and we're going to look at verses 7 through 19. And uh, tonight, we're going to see that in the first part of the chapter, we saw that Jesus was compared to Moses, and in the second part of the chapter, we see that we are compared to the children of Israel. So there's a little bit of a pattern there. Jesus compared to Moses, and then we are compared to the children of Israel. Of course, the children of Israel were the followers of Moses, and we are the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Before we get into the uh, main teaching of the passage, though, I do want to highlight something for you that comes up here in verse number 7. You notice there in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 7, the Bible says, wherefore, and I want you to notice that there's a parenthesis there. Uh, in your Bible, you'll notice it says, wherefore, and then you, you'll see a parenthesis, and then you'll see this phrase, as the Holy Ghost saith, as the Holy Ghost saith. Now, what happens is that the writer of the book of Hebrews is actually going to In this parenthesis, in this kind of parenthetical thought, he's going to quote a portion of Scripture. And we've seen him do this throughout the book of Hebrews already. Uh, And you'll notice that that quote actually is is, uh, set aside by these parentheses. And I'd like you to notice that it goes all the way to the end of verse number 11. So notice there Hebrews 3, 7, wherefore... Parentheses, as the Holy Ghost saith, and then here begins the quote. So he says, as the Holy Ghost saith, and then he begins to quote from Psalm 95. You don't have to turn there. We're going to look at that in a little bit, but here's the quote. He says, today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years, wherefore I was grieved with, the, with that generation, and said, they do always err in their heart. And they have not known my ways, so I swear in my wrath that they shall not enter into my rest, end quote. So you'll notice the quote from the Old Testament covers uh, verses 7 through 11 uh, there in this chapter. And we're going to talk about that here in a minute. But what I want you to notice is that the beginning, before the quote begins there, before the words today, if you will hear his voice, the writer of Hebrews is quoting Uh, from the Old Testament, but what he says is, as the Holy Ghost saith, as the Holy Ghost saith. And what we have here is a statement uh, regarding inspiration of Scripture and the fact that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And though he's quoting from the Old Testament, he's quoting the psalmist from the Old Testament, instead of telling us the name of the psalmist and the name of the individual who's being quoted here, he simply says, as the Holy Ghost saith, because of the fact that all of Scripture is the Holy Ghost speaking through men. And all of the Bible is God speaking uh, uh, through men, but it is the Word of God. It is the Holy Ghost speaking. I'd like to just 
give you a couple of verses regarding this just by way of introduction. Keep your place there in Hebrews, if you would, and go with me to the book of 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. If you're there in Hebrews, you'll just go past the book of James, past the book of 1 Peter, into the book of 2 Peter, because the writer of Hebrews says, as the Holy Ghost saith, then quotes Scripture, quotes the Old Testament, and this is biblical because it teaches us of the inspiration of Scripture. 2 Peter 1 and verse 21 says this, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So we see here approved text for the inspiration of Scripture. Not only in 2 Peter 1.21, of course, but in Hebrews 3.7 when he says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, and then quotes uh, the Old Testament passage. We see that the uh, Word of God is the, not just the Word of men, but it is indeed the Word of God. And, and, and I make that point, and I kind of want to highlight that uh, for a couple reasons. First of all, I want you to notice it, just as, like I said, a proof, just another proof in the Bible of this doctrine of inspiration of Scripture, but I also want you to notice that this is not random. This is not just being brought up for no reason. Nothing in the Bible is incidental, accidental, coincidental. It's all there for a reason, and there's a reason why he says that. There's a reason why he says, as the Holy Ghost saith. And we're going to come back to that reason towards the end of the sermon, but I want you to remember it, and I want you to highlight it. Now, you're there uh, in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. You can uh, go back to Hebrews chapter 3, but I'd also like you to find Psalm 95. So you can see the quote that's being quoted here. Psalm 95, if you open your Bible just right in the center, you're more than likely following the book of Psalms, uh, and, and uh, it's right in the middle of the Bible. Psalm 95, I'd like you to find it. Get back to Hebrews 3, fall, uh, find Psalm 95. While you turn to those passages, let me read to you a couple of more uh, scriptures regarding inspiration of scripture that prove that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Here's, here's a passage while you turn to Psalm 95. Acts 1.16 says this, Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. I want you to notice that in Acts 1.16, we're told that the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake. And again, that is a proof of the inspiration of Scripture, that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Here's what David himself said in 2 Samuel 23. 2 Samuel 23 and verse 1, you don't have to turn there, let me just read this for you. The Bible says this, Now these be the last words of David. David the son of Jesse said, And the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of uh, the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel said, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. So David we're told in Acts that the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake, and then David himself says, the Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my mouth. So we need to always remember that this Bible that you hold in your hand is not just a book. It is the Word of God. And when we say it's the Word of God, we mean that literally, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of the Lord spake by them, and his word was in their Tongue. The Holy Ghost spake by the mouth of these men, and what we're reading is the words of God. So we see that at the beginning, this idea of inspiration of Scripture is brought up, and like I said, it's not brought up uh, just randomly. There's a reason why it's brought up, and we'll come back to that. But I'd like you to go back to Hebrews chapter 3. I think you're in Psalm 95. Go back to Hebrews 3, and let's get into the main uh, subject of the passage tonight. And the subject has to do with your heart, and specifically it has to do with the hardening of 
our heart or a hard heart. And there's several things that are brought up in this passage regarding a hard heart, and I, I, I'd like to highlight them for you. There's five different things that we can learn regarding a hard heart, and it's all kind of intermingled. So we're going to go through the passage, and then we'll go through it again. We'll go through it again as we highlight these different things. If you're taking notes, maybe you can write these things down. I'd love for you to take notes on the back of your course of the week. There's a place for you to do that. I'd like you to notice, first of all, the condition of a hard heart, the condition of a hard heart. And what we have here in this passage is that the writer of Hebrews is giving us an Old Testament example of a hard heart. And I want you to notice the emphasis and the, what's being emphasized in this passage. Hebrews 3, look at verse 7. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, and then he begins to quote the Old Testament. Here's the example from the Old Testament. Today, if you will hear his voice, notice the emphasis, harden not your hearts. The Old Testament psalmist that's being quoted here in, in uh, the book of Hebrews is telling the children of Israel of his day to not harden their hearts. Now, the psalmist, we're going to look at it in Psalm 97, is being quoted in the New Testament, all right? So we've got a New Testament quotation of the Old Testament Psalms, and the psalmist is then reminding the people of his time about the children of Israel in the time that he calls the provocation. Now, this is perfect for us because he's literally referring to the time that we're studying in the book of Numbers right now in our Numbers series uh, when the children of Israel came up to the promised land and then rebelled against God and refused to go in. That's what's being referenced here, and I did not plan that out for us to be in Numbers 13, 14, 15, and 16 around the same time that we'd be in Hebrews chapter 3. I'm not that smart to figure that out, but the Holy Ghost is, and the Holy Ghost uh, has us looking at these things, so this should be familiar to you. The psalmist is saying, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. And then he gives an example that's even older than Psalms. He says, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation, in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said, notice what, notice what God says about that generation, they do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways, so I swear in my wrath that they shall not enter into my rest. Now the rest there is being referred to the fact that they were supposed to enter into the promised land and that was supposed to be their rest. This idea of rest, I'm not going to really deal with a lot tonight because it's going to come up again in chapter 4 of Hebrews and we'll deal with it then. But he's telling them, I had a rest for you. I had a plan for you. You were to go into the promised land, but because you always err in your heart, because you hardened your heart, because you tempted me and proved me and grieved me, God swore in his wrath that they shall not enter into my rest. Now, I want you to notice the quotation that's being quoted uh, just for your notes, of course. Psalm 95 and verse 8 is what's being quoted here. Psalm 95 and verse 8, and notice it, it again just uh, for comparison's sake. Psalm 95 verse 8, harden not your hearts as in the provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your father tempted me, proved me, and saw my works. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation and said, it is the people that do err in their hearts. Notice the emphasis. Verse 8, harden not your heart. Verse 10, it is the people that do err in their hearts, and they have not known my ways, unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. You can go back to Hebrews 3 if you'd like. But I want you to notice we see the condition of the heart. And what we see uh, to begin here is an Old Testament example of a hard heart. And I want you to notice, to me, the biggest emphasis that you should really look at is in verse 
10 of Hebrews 3, when God says, they do always, and that's an older word, of course, an older way of saying, we would say, they always err in their heart. And the application here is that these people were known for all way or always having a hard heart, uh, having not a tender heart, not a heart that was soft towards the things of God, but their heart was always hardened. And I want to ask this question, and I'll probably ask it several times tonight, but you need to ask yourself this question, and the question is this, how's your heart? How's your heart? Every once in a while, you ought to ask your children, how's your heart? Because how hard or how tender or how arrogant, or how humble, or how critical, or how content your heart is, is very important. The Bible says that all sorts of sin come from our heart. And God says about these people that they had an example. He says there's an Old Testament example of a hard heart. Now, this doesn't come up just because we see, first of all, here in verses 7 through 11, an Old Testament example of a hard heart. And then in verse 7, we see a New Testament exhortation to not have a hard heart. Look at verse 7, Hebrews 3, verse 7. So in, verses, in verse 7, we see this in the parentheses, we see this quote from the Old Testament. But then I want you to notice, when you remove the parentheses, and of course we're not going to remove the parentheses, all of this is the Word of God, but if you remember diagramming sentences when you were a kid in school, a parenthetical statement is a statement that is put there to give you additional information or a, a different, additional context uh, or content uh, for the sentence. But that which is in parentheses is not necessarily needed for a complete uh, sentence or a complete statement. So we can actually read by removing the parentheses to see the point that he's actually trying to make because the parentheses is just giving us uh, additional needed information. And read it without the parentheses and it says this in verse 7. He says, wherefore, parentheses begin, runs all the way to the end of verse 11. And then verse 12 says this, take heed, brethren. So I want you to notice that that whole parenthetical statement that travels from verse 7 uh, through 11 is there as an Old Testament example of a hard heart. But what he's actually doing is he's giving some New Testament believers an exhortation to not have a hard heart. And he says, Wherefore, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. And it makes sense why he gives us that parenthesis, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today if you will hear his voice, goes into that whole uh, 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 example from the Old Testament and then says, Take heed therefore, brethren, lest any of you, uh, any of you, uh, lest there be any of you, excuse me, uh, an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, verse 13, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened, notice the emphasis, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So in verse 12, he says, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. In verse 13, he says, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Look at verse 14. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Verse 15, while it is said today, if you will hear his voice, notice it again, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. So again, this is he's re-quoting the Old Testament because when he quoted Psalm 97, he said, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. That was a quote from the Old Testament. 
an example from the Old Testament, but verse 15 is an exhortation to New Testament believers, and he says the same thing. He says, harden not your hearts as in the day of provocation. Now, I'd like you to keep, keep your place there in Hebrews 3, and go with me to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 6, uh, and, and towards the beginning of the New Testament, you have Matthew, and then you have the book of Mark, Matthew, Mark, Mark chapter number 6. When you get to Mark, do me a favor, put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. We're going to come back to Mark several times during the sermon tonight, so I'd like you to find it quickly. And when I came up here, I realized that my shoe was untied and it's going to bother me, so I'm just going to tie it real quick if that's okay with you. It's supposed to be the bunny loops and all that stuff, right? If I don't tie it, it's just going to bother me the whole time. Mark chapter 6, look at verse 52. Matthew, Mark, Mark chapter 6 and verse 52. Oftentimes when we think of a hard heart, we think of reprobates. Because reprobates, the Bible says, that they harden their hearts. Now oftentimes they harden their hearts, and what makes them a reprobate is that they cross a line with God where God hardens their heart. I've taught on that in the past. I'm not going to take the time to go there. But I do want you to understand that it is also possible for Christians to harden their heart. Now, obviously, a Christian doesn't lose their salvation or anything like that, but there are some consequences regarding a hard heart. We're going to talk about that. But here's a verse for you that kind of uh, illustrates the fact that a Christian can have a hardened heart. Mark 6, 52, look at it. For they, and I'm not going to take the time to go through the context, but the word they there is referring to the disciples, literally the 12 disciples, the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, for they considered not the miracle of the loaves. Notice these words. For their heart was hardened. And here the Bible, and again, I'm not going to take the time to go through the whole story, but there's a story about the fact that Jesus just got done one of, doing one of the greatest miracles recorded in Scripture where he multiplied the loaves and fed thousands of people, literally a miracle, one of the most famous miracles in the Bible. And the Bible tells us, when we look at Mark 6.52, when we get a little bit of insight from the Holy Ghost who's narrating the story and commenting in the story, he tells us that this was at a time when the disciples were a little bit backslidden and their hearts were hardened. And in fact, they were there when Jesus performed the miracle, but they weren't impressed by it. They weren't amazed by it. In fact, if you read the story, if you remember the story, you remember the fact that they were actually supposed to take a day off. They were supposed to go and take a day off with the Lord Jesus Christ, but ministry got in the way, and Jesus said, sorry guys, we're not going to take a day off today, and they began to minister unto these people. And the Bible is telling us that their hearts got a little hardened as a result, and they considered not the miracle of the loaves. They missed what God was doing because of their hardened heart. And I will say this, when your heart is hard, it becomes callous to the great things that God is doing around you. You got to be careful with that. I believe that God is doing some wonderful things here at Verity Baptist Church at this time in the life and ministry of our church. And some of you are missing it. You're missing, you're, you're here, you're present, but you're missing it because your heart has been hardened. So I ask again, how's your heart? How's your heart? You got to get a heart check spiritually. You gotta get a heart check and you gotta ask yourself, how's the condition of your heart? Because it is possible for New Testament Christians to grow calloused, hardened heart. So we see the condition of the heart. 
But I'd like you to notice, secondly, keep your place there in Mark, if you would, and go back to Hebrews chapter 3. Not only do we see the condition of the heart, but we see the complication of a hard heart. Because you might say, well, okay, well, if I have a hard heart, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is this, that your condition, your heart disease, spiritually, has some complications that come along with it. Notice the complications. In Hebrews 3 and verse 8, we see this, harden not your hearts. He says, as in the provocation. And again, we've already been looking at this in the book of Numbers, so this should be familiar to you. In the day of temptation, in the wilderness, notice what the Bible says. This is God speaking. When your fathers tempted me, the word tempt, oftentimes when we think of the word tempt, we think of like a sin, and the Bible definitely uses that word in that, uh, in that way. But the word tempt means more than just being tempted to sin. It can also mean to be tested. Whether temptation to sin can be a test, but there are also temptations or testings that are not sin. For example, God, the Bible tells us in the book of Genesis, that God did tempt Abraham when he asked Abraham, to offer his son Isaac upon the altar. That was not a temptation to sin, but that was a uh, temptation or a test. The word tempt can mean attempted or adventured to test. And here the Bible says, God says that your fathers tempted me. In the idea, he says, you were testing me. You were putting me up to the test and proved me. Notice, and saw my works 40 years. Here's what he's saying. He's saying the complication of a hard heart, the problem with a hard heart is this, that a hard heart will put you at odds with God. Because a hard heart will cause you, what what was it that happened with the children of Israel at the border of Canaan land when the spies came back with an evil report and they refused to go in? What happened? What was the complication? What was the result of their hard heart? They doubted God. Remember that? They lacked faith. They allowed fear to settle in. And because they did not have faith in God, they began to doubt God. They began to question God. Remember, they they began to question not only God, but they began to question the man of God. They began to question Moses. And they said, why did you bring us out here? Did you bring us out in the wilderness to die? Were there not enough graves in, in Egypt? You brought us out to the wilderness to die? Remember, they said, we remember Egypt. And they said, let us make a captain to go back to Egypt. They began to doubt God and question God. They began to test God and they stood in judgment of God. And let me tell you something, a hard heart always uh, uh, shows itself in criticism and complaining against God. Now you might say, well, I don't complain against God. I only complain against my spouse or I don't complain against God. I only complain against my boss or I don't complain against God. I only complain against my pastor. But remember that those are all individuals that God placed in your life. And when we complain about, when a wife complains about the husband that God gave her, when a husband complains about the job or the boss that God gave him, when a church member complains about the pastor that God gave him, when a child complains about the parents that God gave him, always remember that that is always a complaint against God. And we are testing God and uh, putting God up uh, to this idea. We're putting him in judgment and we we are uh, proving him and saying, why would you do this, God? And whenever we get to the place where we begin to question God, remember, it's the condition of a hard heart. The problem with a hard heart is that it puts you at odds with God. And look, I get it. You may have gone through some difficulties. You may have gone through some hard things. 
And those hard things have resulted in a hard heart. But remember and realize that the problem with a hard heart is that it often gets us to question God. And when we question God and say, God, why would you do this? And why would you allow this? And why wouldn't you do this? And why wouldn't you step in in this situation? All of that is a result of a hard heart. And the complication with a hard heart is that it puts us at odds with God. And if that doesn't matter to you, let me say this. Not only does a hard heart put you at odds with God, but a hard heart then puts God at odds with you. Look at verse 10. Wherefore? In verse, verses 8 and 9, we saw their hard heart towards God, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. He said, your hard heart put you at odds with me because your hard heart caused you to doubt God, question God, put God to a test, or stand in judgment of God. And then the Bible says in verse 10, he says, wherefore, the word wherefore means for that reason, because you stood in judgment of me, God says. He says, wherefore, I, this is God speaking, I was grieved with that generation. He said, they began to question me, and I grieved that generation. I was grieved with that generation, and said, they do always err in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. Look at verse 16. For some, when they had heard, did provoke. When you and I have a hard heart and we question God, we, we, we're provoking God. For some, when they heard, verse 16, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses, but with whom was he grieved 40 years? The question is, who was he upset with 40 years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness, to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. And listen to me. When you and I allow a hard heart to enter into our lives, and we allow that hard heart to make us bitter and angry and hard towards the things of God, and we begin to question God and complain against God and criticize God, that puts us at odds with God, and that puts God at odds with us. You might wake up 40 years later realizing you've wasted your life in the wilderness because God was grieved with you. And he swore in his wrath that they shall not enter into his rest. So we saw, number one, the condition of a hard heart. We saw, number two, the complication of a hard heart. Like you notice, thirdly, the consequence of a hard heart. Look at verse 10. He says, Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, here's the consequence. They do always err. See that word err there? We would use the word error. They always mess up. They always make a mistake. They do always err in their heart. And here's why. And they have not known my ways. The consequence of a hard heart is this. That an erring heart will lead you to damage your life. The consequence of the hard heart, not just the condition of the hard heart, that you have a hard heart, and not just the complication of the hard heart, that now my hard heart has put me at odds with God and has put God at odds with me. But the consequence that you'll leave with is this, that when you and I allow a hard heart into our lives, then we begin to err. We begin to mess up. 
We begin to make mistakes. And it is because we have not known, God says, because they have not known my ways. Let me give you a cross-reference. Go to Mark chapter 12. If you kept your place in Mark, go back to Mark 12, look at verse 24. See, an erring heart will lead you to damage your Christian life. Because when your heart is hard, that's not the time for you to be making any sort of decisions. That's not the time for you to be deciding because, uh, you know, things that could affect your life, things that could affect your marriage, things that could affect your children, because the Bible says they do always err in their hearts, for they have not known my ways. Here's how Jesus said it, Mark 12, 24. And Jesus answering said unto them, Do ye not therefore, notice the word, err. Why? Because ye know not the Scriptures, neither the power of God. See, the consequence of a hard heart is this, that it causes us to err. It'll bring damage. And listen, please understand this. People with hard hearts will make decisions because they're heart is hard towards God, it becomes hard towards others. I mean, the Bible says, be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And when we have a condition of a hard heart, then wives make decisions, husbands make decisions, and they err not knowing the Scriptures, not doing what God wants, and then they damage their marriage because of a hard heart. Parents make decisions. They're hardened. You don't think parents get hardened towards their own children? Join the ministry. Uh, unfortunately, it's something we see all the time. Oftentimes, we're trying to Tell parents, hey, love your kids. Love them enough. Don't give up on them. Don't quit on them. But parents will sometimes, their hearts will get hard towards God. And their hearts will get hard towards their own children. And they'll err and make decisions and, and have regrets and, and damage relationships. And the consequence of a hard heart is that that erring heart will lead you to damage your Christian life. So parents... Please realize that your lack of knowledge of what God wants you to do could have an effect on your children. I mean, the children had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years with their parents. It wasn't their choice. Not only do erring hearts cause you to damage your Christian life, but erring evil hearts will cause you to depart the Christian life. Keep your place there in Mark. We're going to come back to it. Go back to Hebrews 3. Look at verse 11. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my wrath. Verse 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Notice what he says. In departing from the living God. Before, any time, before anyone quits a church like this, I mean physically, disappear, stop attending, we don't see them anymore. Their hearts left way before that. Because an evil heart will lead you to depart the things of God. He says, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from 
the living God. And these are the consequences of a hard heart. It will cause you to make errors and damage relationships, damage people, do hurtful things, do painful things, and it will cause you to depart from the things of God. It's the consequences. I'd like you to notice, fourthly, the cause. Look at verse 13, Hebrews 3, 13. We saw the condition of a hard heart. We saw an Old Testament example and a New Testament exhortation. We saw the complication of a hard heart. We saw that it puts you at odds with God, and it, it puts God at odds with you. We saw the consequences of a hard heart. It will cause you to err and damage your Christian life. It will cause you to be evil and depart from the Christian life. And then I want you to notice the cause. Why does it happen? Look at verse 13. Hebrews 3.13. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened, notice the words, through the deceitfulness of sin. The deceitfulness of sin will cause a hard heart. Again, I want you to notice it. Go to Mark, Mark chapter 4. Notice what Jesus said. Mark chapter 4. Look at verse 18. Mark chapter 4 and verse 18, the Bible says this, And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word. Notice, these are individuals. They're sown. They hear the word. Verse 19, and the cares of this world. They care more, and they are filled with care, anxious about, is what the word care means, and the cares of this world, and, don't miss it, the deceitfulness of riches. In Hebrews, we saw the deceitfulness of sin. But these things are often put on the same shelf because the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. And because Jesus said you cannot serve God and mammon. And the idea is this, that the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in, notice it, don't miss it, choke the word. They harden a heart to the place where the word of God cannot have an effect. They choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. What is the cause of a hard heart? It's always the deceitfulness of sin. It will cause a hard heart. The deceitfulness of sin. And sin in, so, in your life, in my life, in anyone's life, will cause and bring forth a hard heart. Notice it's not just that. Go back to Hebrews, 3, uh, Hebrews chapter 3, look at verse 17. Not only is the cause a deceitfulness of sin... But we see that another cause is the distrust of unbelief. Look at verse 17. But with whom was he grieved 40 years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that, notice the words, believe not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. And listen to me, the reason that so many people do not enter in to the promised land of their life, whatever that is, in whatever area, God's perfect will for your life, whether it be marriage, whether it be parenting, whether it be your job, your career, your health, your, whatever area it is, is because we see what the Bible says, we know what the Bible says, 
We know what God wants us to do as a husband or as a wife or as a father or as a mother or as an employee or as an employer or as a church member or whatever it is. We see what God tells us to do, but let's just be honest. We don't do it. Why? Because we really don't believe it. It's, it's this, this distrust that says, well, if I did that, that would never work. But that's what God said to do. And a wife says, I could never submit to my husband in that way. I mean, if I, if I did that, but let's just call it what it is. You don't trust God. It's not about your husband. Although your husband may be an idiot. I don't know what to tell you. You married him. He probably is an idiot. But God's good. And a, and a husband says, but if I, if I love my wife the way that uh, love, Christ loved the church, and if I did what Christ told me to do, because husbands, they get this idea, well, I'm the boss, so therefore... I never have to do anything and, and you're my servant. Well, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said that you are to love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Jesus said that you are to love sacrificially and you are to love selflessly. And look, here's what I'm telling you. When a husband and wife get this, when they actually believe the Bible, and a wife says, I'm going to submit to the authority of my husband, he's God's leader in my life, and, and, and I'm going to put myself, yeah, maybe in a position that is vulnerable, but I'm going to just believe that God knows best and that God knows how to do it. And when a husband says, well, I'm not just going to rule and be arrogant and be lazy, but I'm actually going to sacrifice and love my wife like Christ loved the church. I'm going to sacrifice and be selfless. Here's what I'm telling you. When you do it, it works. So why don't people do it? Let's just, let's just call it what it is. You don't actually believe the Bible. You think you're smarter than God. You tempt him and provoke him and, and, and say, I don't think this is going to work. It's like the children of Israel at, at, the, at, the, at the borders of Canaan saying, I don't think we can do this. The deceitfulness of sin and the distrust of unbelief is the cause of a hard heart. And the problem is that it brings these consequences where you damage your Christian life, you depart from the Christian life, it puts you at odds with God, it puts God at odds with you, and it ruins your life. So we saw the condition of a hard heart. We saw the complications of a hard heart. You saw the consequences of a hard heart and the cause of a hard heart. Let me give you lastly tonight the cure for a hard heart. Notice what the writer of Hebrews says. He spent this whole time explaining to us why you don't want a hard heart. Because it puts you at odds with God and it puts God at odds with you. It makes you to tempt God, to provoke God, to question God, Doubt God to say, I don't really trust it. I don't really think. And why do we do it? Because of deceitfulness of sin. Because of distrust and unbelief. And it causes you to err. And you have errors. And you have regrets. And you have damage. And it causes you to depart and quit on God. And it's your heart. I wish we'd be honest about it. I wish when people quit church, they would just say, I'm backslidden. My heart is hard towards God. Let me give you the cure for a hard heart. Look at verse 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. And then he says this. He says, take heed. The word heed means to give attention to, pay close attention to. Take heed, brethren. Verse 13, he says, here's what you should do. But exhort one another daily while it is called today. And then he says this lest any of you be hardened. You say, well, how, how do I keep myself from being hardened, according to Hebrews? 
you exhort one another daily while it is called today. You say, what's the cure for a hard heart? Number one, don't isolate yourself from God's people. Don't isolate yourself from God's people. What I've noticed is that when people often, when their hearts get hard, the first thing they begin to do is to isolate themselves. They begin to back off. They begin to miss church services. They stop going to activities. They stop talking to the fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And God says, what you need to do when you have a hard heart is to exhort one another daily. The last thing you need to do when you have a hard heart is to isolate. In fact, the cure for a hard heart is to not isolate yourself. Don't isolate yourself from God's people. This is brought up later on in the book of Hebrews. Let's look at it. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 25. Hebrews 10, 25. Notice what the writer of Hebrews says. Hebrews 10, 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. You see that word exhorting? That's what he said in Hebrews 3, 13. But exhort one another daily but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Look, I don't, I don't know how it works, and I can't explain it to you. I can just tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says that what you and I need is to be in community with other believers, and the worst thing you can do when you find your heart uh, uh, starting to harden is to isolate yourself. And, and the interesting thing is that it seems to be just... The thing that people want to do, it's like our flesh just automatically, the moment your heart starts getting hard towards the things of God, you want to start isolating. It's the worst thing you can do. And look, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The Bible says that the devil is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. And if you've ever taken the time to watch any sort of nature shows and watch how lions hunt, you know what they, what, how they hunt is they isolate. They don't take on four or five animals at once. They start running towards these animals who start running away from them. But what do they do? They try to separate one. Usually it's the youngest, usually it's the weakest, usually it's the oldest, usually it's one that was just kind of not too close to the rest of the herd. The Bible says that the devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And you're just doing exactly what he wants, exactly what he needs is isolating yourself. the worst thing you could do. The cure for a hard heart is don't isolate yourself from God's people. Look, I can't explain it. But there's something about being with God's people. It does something that the preaching of the Word of God doesn't do. And I'm not minimizing the preaching of the Word of God. In fact, we're going to talk about it here in a minute. But you know, yesterday, last night at the harvest party, I mean, it was just a wonderful time. I don't know how many people were there. We definitely had over 200 people there. There was no preaching. I didn't stand up and open up a Bible and preach at all. But you know, a lot of spirituality was happening as brothers and sisters in Christ We're just spending time together, fellowshipping together, having fun together, clean fun, laughing, playing, having a good time. Hey, there's just something about exhorting one another daily while it is called today. You need it and I need it. It's not something that we can live stream. It's something you need to be. You need to be with the people of God. And the worst thing you could do is to isolate yourself from God's people. 
So the writer of Hebrews tells us that the cure for a hard heart is don't isolate yourself from God's word. But then he says another thing. Look at verse 14. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. That's the, that's the opposite of departing from the Lord. That's staying with it, sticking with it. Notice what he says, verse 15. While it is said. It's interesting because he's highlighting this for us. Because in verse 13, he said, while it is called today, but exhort one another while it is called today. Here's what he's saying. You need to spend with God's people, time with God's people today. Not, oh, well, one day I'll, I'll go to church. No, no, today. While it is called today. But then he says in verse 15, while it is said today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. See, the problem with a hard heart is that it hardens you towards the word of God. Remember, we saw it in Mark. It chokes the word of God. And he says, look, it is, what you need to do is today, if ye will hear his voice. And remember, Remember where we started tonight? This is all connected. Where did we start in verse 7? As the Holy Ghost saith, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. You say, what is the cure for a hard heart? Number one, don't isolate yourself from God's people. But number two, don't insulate yourself from God's word. So what do I need when my heart is hard? You know what you need is the preaching of the word of God. You know what you need is to read the Word of God. You know what you need? You need to remember that when you hear the Word of God preach, when you read this King James Bible, you are hearing the voice of God. It is the Word of God. And I I often find myself frustrated. Something that I I constantly talk with my wife about is is how in ministry, sometimes it's so difficult. You you, you have individuals and they're having problems and they're having issues and and sometimes it's so difficult to try to help them because there's really just nothing we can do. The problem is they have a hard heart. And I think to myself, man, I I don't know what to say to this individual. I don't know what to do for this individual. And and often my wife and I can kind of find ourselves just at at a loss. Well, what can we do to help this person? And what can we do in in this situation? And it's it's something, it's not just they need a ride. It's it's deeper than that. It's their heart. And, And we can pray for them and we can talk to them. But let me tell you something. There is something that a human being cannot do that the Word of God can. I can't. Fix the heart. But the Bible says that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And what I've learned is that the word of God can do something for you. That no one else can. So the writer of Hebrews says, When you have a hard heart, don't isolate yourself from God's people. And don't insulate yourself from God's word. And it's interesting to me because what people need the most when they find themselves starting to get backslidden is to be with Christian people and the preaching of the word of God. And it's the thing they do least. They start skipping out. They start fading out. They, they, they stop hanging out 
They start isolating and insulating. They reap the consequences. They damage their life. They damage their marriage. They damage their children. They damage their relationships. They break everything in their lives. And then they sit there and say, I don't understand what happened. I can tell you what happened. You isolated yourself. You insulated yourself. You put yourself at odds with God, and you put yourself at odds with everyone else. And now you're reaping the consequences. So why don't you cure that? Why don't you open up your King James Bible tomorrow morning? And look up to heaven and say, open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. And ask God to do a work in your heart. And ask God to begin to melt that hard heart, to begin to break that hard heart and start spending time with people and, and encouraging people and exhorting people and allowing them to encourage and exhort you. And melt that hard heart away. Look at verse 16. We'll finish up. He ends by saying this. Hebrews 3.16. And you should know this because we just talked about this in the, in the book of Numbers. For some... When they had heard, did provoke. And if you remember, this is a story of the 12 spies. 10 spies came back with an evil report. Two spies came back with a good report. And then the people responded. And here's what Hebrew says. He says, some, when they heard, did provoke. When they heard the evil report, they hardened their heart, they provoked God, they tempted God, they doubted God, they questioned God, they put themselves at odds with God, they put God at odds with themselves, they damaged their lives, damaged their relationships, departed from the Lord, wandered in the wilderness, and wasted their lives. That's what some did. For some, when they had heard, did provoke. Here's the part that encourages me as a pastor. How be it not all. How be it not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. Because not everybody hardened their heart. Moses didn't. Aaron didn't. Joshua didn't. Caleb didn't. Their hearts were tender towards God. They trusted God and they had confidence in God. They didn't question God. And God helped them along the way. So I ask you again, how's your heart? Is it hard? Callous? Bitter? Critical? Complaining? Covetous? Cursing? How's your heart? Are you the some which did provoke? Or are you in the how be it not all girl? Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts that only you can do. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be a people that would be tender, that our hearts would be tender and soft towards your word, towards your work. Help us not to have hardened hearts. We'll damage. We'll damage ourselves and we'll damage people around us. We'll waste our time and wander in the wilderness and wonder how we ended up there.
Lord, help us to be the people. Like it says in the Bible, how be it not all. Help us to be in that group. People who kept their hearts tender towards God. They didn't isolate. They didn't insulate. They allowed the word of God to do a work in their hearts, and they stayed tender towards the things of God. Lord, we love you. My prayer is that we would be those people. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We're going to have Brother Moses come up and lead us in a final song. just want to remind you a couple of things. First of all, don't forget uh, that there is P.E. tomorrow for the homeschool group. Uh, so ladies, don't forget about that.